2 Kings chapter 12. Also, if you might want to turn to uh, keep your place in 2 Kings chapter 12 and also turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 that fills in some of the details as we rather look at the overview. Uh, 2 Kings all by itself does have some very interesting imagery in it, but it is an historical event. And 2 Chronicles fills in some details that we don't necessarily have in 2 Kings. Uh, both of them are important. Um, and, and with the uh, prophetic details that are in it. That's why Second Kings is written the way that it is. It does have some prophetic details, and this is why the message is called Jehoiada, known of the Lord, uh, on being a kingly priest and counselor in Christ's kingdom. And we do take our text from the Second Kings chapter 12, verse 2, which is in the Old King James Version from your, uh, from your handout at the top of the handout inside. It says, in, uh, Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days, all his days, wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And I know that uh, Brother Steve had just prayed, but uh, I want to go into prayer myself to ensure that I'm being led of the Lord and uh, I'm handling his word before God's people. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the scripture that uh, the scriptures that uh, Brother uh, Steve had read in uh, Second Kings, uh, we do look at this text, the text that was read in verse 2 of Second Kings chapter 12, and, and uh, ask, Lord, that, that uh, you'll be glorified in your people as we worship you from the word, that Christ will be exalted, that Heavenly Father, you'll be glorified, and that we may be led of the Spirit, that the truth of the Scripture may change us, that we won't be the same, that we will move forward uh, in exalting you, and glorifying you through our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and uh, and uh, help us to put aside the things of the of the day and the things of the world, so that we may focus upon uh, what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name and for His sake, Amen. So it is an historical overview, and it really starts in some of your Bibles. Verse twenty-one is kind of attached, uh, paragraphically speaking, to. Uh, chapter 12, verse 21 says, Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. And I'm uh, going to be preaching from the English Standard Version today. Jehoash reigns in Judah. Uh, his name is Joash or Jehoash. He goes by both of the names. Uh, be, begin, and he began reigning at the age of seven, as we see in Second Kings chapter 11, verse 21. Last week we took a look at it and um, Joash or Jehoash, he was um, uh, he was saved as his grandmother Ataliah was killing all the descendants of his father, Ahaz, father Ahaziah, killed all of them but him. He was taken by uh, Jehoiada's um, wife, and uh, she, as we saw last week, and he was hidden the temple until uh, for six years until he was seven years old, and then they proclaimed him king. Uh, Jehoiada or Jehoiada, he was the one that that uh, uh, perpetuated this, and then Adaliah was put to death as she reigned uh, as a tre- in a treasonous reign for uh, seven for for the, for those seven years until he was uh, seven years old at the death of her son Ahaziah. Uh, she was Adaliah, if you recall, that she was the granddaughter of Omri, who was the uh, and Omri was the father of of uh, Ahab, the most wicked king in the northern empire, in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, 
So uh, Jehoash reigns for 40 years, as we see in verse 1, and he is instructed of Jehoiada in verses 2 through 3. And verse 2 is where we're taking basically our text. Um, And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Because we'll find out as we are actually, as we had read this, he seems to slip after the death of Jehoiada. But in 2 Kings, it doesn't even mention the death of Jehoiada. It does in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 24. And And I believe that there's a reason for that. Matthew Poole says this of verses 2 and 3, that they didn't take down the high places. And then you have this godly man, Jehoiada, who is really calling the shots. What kind of, what kind of uh, commands could a king who's seven years old give? Uh, so Jehoiada is really, uh, really the vassal king, if you will. He's the one that's, uh, he is the one calling the shots, pretty much. But uh, Matthew Poole, the uh, Puritan commentator, says this concerning verses 2 and 3. The people were so fondly and strangely addicted to the high places that the foregoing kings, though men of riper years and great power and courage, and finally settled in their thrones, could not take them away. And therefore it was not uh, strange if Jehoiada could not now remove them. Plus he was an old man by this time. He was not the high priest at this time, which we'll somewhat get into here in just a moment. Uh, Jehoash repairs the temple in verses 4 and 5. Jehoash instructs the priests in the assessment. Um, there are three types of uh, payment that were given, one in Exodus, one in uh, Leviticus, and also uh, free will offerings that people could give. And so uh, as Jehoash is getting a little bit older, he instructs the priests. He says, hey, go on out and uh, go tell your friends. We need to restore the temple and take in all this, uh, all these offerings. And so they were taking in the offerings and some of them were pocketing the money as some commentators would suggest. In verses 6 through 8, we see that Je- uh, Jehoash asks Jehoiada why nothing has been done in the 23rd year. So he's 29 years old. This is his 23rd uh, year of reign. He starts when he's seven. So he's 29 years of age. And so he asks Jehoiada, what's going on with these, with these priests? Why, are, uh, why has nothing been done? And we don't know how long the time frame is, even from Second Chronicles. We don't know how long this time frame is. And we have to uh, uh, consider this as far as for verse... Yeah, it was in verse 7. It says that, uh, therefore King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them why are you not repairing the house now therefore take no no more money from the donors but hand it over for the repair of the house so uh in verses 9 through 16 jehoiada builds a coffer for repair money and 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 that's the system that actually we have set up for giving we don't pass an offering plate we take an old testament or uh, uh excuse me not an old testament view a biblical view of giving you know, uh, some people say, well, you need to give 10%. Uh, no, as a New Testament view, you're responsible for 100%. Now, it's between you and the Lord how much you give. 10%, 20%, 2%, 1%, I don't know. Whatever you're giving unto the, you know, the maintenance and upkeep of this place. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, and even for what I get, I get offerings as well. And we put that box up there, which is very similar to what Jehoiada did. Made a coffer, put a hole in it, people drop the money in. Um, and so, uh, 
So that's what we do. But any time I talk about New Testament giving, you're responsible for 100%. It says salvation belongs to the Lord. Even your salvation is not your own. You are only stewards of it. And you're responsible not only for what you give there, but for everything, every resource that you have in the Lord. Everything is His. Your very breath in your nostrils, whether you're saved or unsaved, is God's. And so you're responsible for that. And, um, and so, therefore, we, we see this that takes place, and we see that it goes all the way up until the Gospels, where you understand that where it's recorded in Mark chapter 12, that Jesus notes about a woman who puts uh, a widow in the widow's portion. By, that, by the time of the Lord Jesus, uh, in, around the temple in the court of the women, they had 13 coffers, boxes just like Jehoiada made, and they were designated for certain things. One of them is for building repair. One of them is for the widow's portion because they would be, uh, the money would be taken out of that portion to give unto the widows. And, and Jesus notes that in Mark chapter 12 that this, as everybody's putting in the money uh, of, their, of, their, uh, of their wealth and they're putting this in and she puts in, remember that she puts in two mites into the, probably into the widow's box, actually. She, she put in all that she had. That was all the money that she had and Jesus noted that. And she, he says she put in more than all of them, because they put out of their surplus, out of, out of all that they had. She put out of her lack. She didn't have anything left. And it's only suggested that she put it in the widow's coffer. I tend to think that she actually put it into the, into the offering that goes into the maintenance of the church, personally, because it doesn't say which coffer she put it into. So, um, as Jehoiada in 9 through 16, he builds this, um, and it says in verse 10, that once the money was put in, it says in verse 10, and whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came in, or the king's scribe, it says in the old King James Version, and the high priest came up, and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and then they would distribute it as they needed to. Now, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 11, it says that the high priest's officer did it. So it wasn't a high priest. Also, you have to remember, it wasn't Jehoiada that was the high priest. Because he's way too old at this time. Um, we find out that, uh, in fact, we find out in verse 15 of Second Chronicles 24 that he dies at 130 years of age. And since off, uh, working in the priesthood is between the ages of 30 to 50 in number, according to Numbers chapter 4 and Numbers chapter 8, that in Numbers chapter 8 it says that when someone's 25, if he's of the Levites, whether he's in the priestly line of Aaron or not, he works from uh, the age 25 learning for five years. And when he turns 30, then he's, do, uh, then he's used in the ministry for 20 years until he's 50. After 50, those priests, whether you're the high priest or uh, Levite or or of the priestly line that's not working, you're now teaching those who are 25 to 30 years of age. So you only have 20 years that you're actually ministering, and so Jehoiada is not actually the high priest at this time. Um, so Jehoiada, uh, 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 excuse me, Jehoash, or Jehoash, now uh, his irresponsible uh, or reprehensible behavior we see, and that's where I'm going to turn to 
Second Chronicles chapter 24. Jehoiada dies in Second Chronicles 24, verses 15 to 16. After this event, it says, and if you're still turning there, I'll, I'll wait for you if you wanted to read it. You don't have to turn there. I'll be reading it again from the, from the Scriptures. Second Chronicles 24, verses 15 and 16. Anyone who is turning there, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, say amen, if you're still turning. All right, I'll read it. Verse 15, it says, But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death. Verse 16 says, And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel and toward God in his house. So we have this, uh, the ending and the capping off of this uh, significant person. Um, if you actually calculated it back from 130 years, now we don't know how, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jehoash reigns for 40 years. He'll be 47 when he dies. And we were already told that in verse 1, right? So I'm not telling you anything secret. <laughs> it's We already read it. So we don't know when he died at 130 years. It was sometime after, at least sometime after his 23rd year of reign. So, uh, uh, if you calculate it back at a conservative estimate, he might have been born in the last five years of Solomon's reign. He may have been the high priest during uh, the, uh, the, the son of Rehoboam's time. He has seen just about everybody, probably at least in his lifetime, since Solomon, or at the very least, Rehoboam. And so uh, he spans a long period of time. But we see that also Jehoash turns to idols in verses 17 to 19. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. In verse 18, And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And, and the wrath came upon Judah, or, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. In verse 19, it says, "Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention." Stay there in Second Chronicles chapter 24. Asherim, that would have been the groves, the, the wooded forests upon the hills, and the Baals, the false gods. They had already given themselves over to that, but and the, the high places weren't removed. So as the temple's repaired, now this significant figure is gone, they turn back. And Jehoash is the king. He goes, okay, yeah, I'll go right along with that. It's not a problem. Uh, he becomes an idolater uh, in verses 17 to 19. And some commentators believe, because of the time frame, the prophet Joel was the prophet that was ministering to Judah. And even if he wasn't, uh, because of that time frame, but it makes sense if you read the prophet Joel um, about the judgment and the locusts, more than likely he was the, one of the prophets that, was, uh, that ministered unto Jehoash after the rule, uh, or after the death of Jehoiada. And so uh, he, uh, Joel uh, gives significant insights, and we won't turn there. But in verse 20 of Second Chronicles 24, um, we see the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, as, uh, as, as a priestly prophet, the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, and he may have even been the grandson, some commentators might believe. He may have even been the grandson of Jehoiada. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, 
And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. And thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him but killed his son, and when he was dying, he said, may the Lord see and avenge. Or uh, more literally from the Hebrew, may the Lord require it, require or recompense, pay back this evil that he had done. So he, jo- Jehoash as king has Zechariah killed. And, uh, and so uh, Jehoash also gives the temple treasures to Haziel, which we do read in verses uh, 17, to, 17 to 18, which Brother Steve had read to us. But we, Second Chronicles gives us a, a little clearer picture. See, Haziel goes into Gaza and he starts, you know, he starts defeating them and taking spoil and so forth. Then he comes against Jerusalem. Haziel, the king of Syria, goes in against Jerusalem and he wounds Jehoash. Jehoash now is uh, wounded in Second Chronicles 24, verses 23 to 24. It says, At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Uh, though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord. And, God, and the God of their fathers, thus they executed judgment on Joash. And verse 25 says, When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but did not bury him in the tombs of the kings, because he was... Wicked. They buried him in Jerusalem, the city of David. And remember that when it mentions city of David, there's two cities of David in the Bible. One of them is the city of David, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the house of bread. And the other one is the city of David, Jerusalem, because David is the one who was the king who captured Jerusalem, the 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 uh, city of the Jebusites, and made that the capital of uh, the kingdom. And so um, Joash's remaining acts, Jehoash was killed and buried in Jerusalem in verses 19 to 21. And as I read in Second Chronicles 24, uh, that he was buried there. Uh, and that this conspiracy against him, these uh, two what you would call half-breeds, as the son of an Ammonite and the son of a Moabite, ended up killing him while he was wounded. And then Jehoash's son reigned in his place. And remember that the Ammonites are the descendants of Lot through one of his daughters, and the Moabites are the descendants of Lot through another daughter, uh, that they dwelt on the east side of the, of the uh, Jordan River uh, across from uh, Israel. And so those, that's, the, uh, that's the historical account. It actually happened. It's recorded both in... Second Kings chapter 12 and Second Chronicles chapter 24. But what are the holy implications and helpful applications that we can gather from this? Jehoiada uh, means to know. Uh, it means known of the Lord. Uh, Yada is the word is the word in Hebrew to know, and uh, Yeho Yah is the shortened name of Jehovah. 
Yehovah Elohim, um, of, of Yehovah God. And um, uh, Yeho is still a, a, con- a shortened or a condensed, condensed way of saying Yehovah. yod Hey vav Hey, the four letters of, uh, uh, that we see in our English Bibles that says the Lord, all capitalized, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. Well, Yehoiada means known of the Lord. And um, Yehoiada's past, interestingly, in Second Kings, uh, we don't know anything about Yehoiada's past which is a, an interesting reflection on uh, that there's nothing about him prior to chapter 11 when Joash is made, uh, is made king. There are three Jehoiadas or Jehoiadas in the Hebrew scriptures and uh, all of them are, the other two are in a time frame that doesn't match up with this Jehoiada. Uh, there was a Jehoiada, the, uh, the son of uh, Benaiah, which is during the king, uh, during the days of King David, or maybe it was backwards. Uh, uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, I think it is. But anyway, he's a kingly priest, and I would suggest because of Second Kings. Notice that Second Kings doesn't mention anything about his death, and since he has no prior, uh, n- uh, no prior record of his birth, there's no record of his birth, and there's no nothing prior to this time frame that I suggest that he's a kingly priest after the order of Melchizedek as a type, as a, as a pictographic type for us as an illustration. Because it doesn't mention that he dies. It has no account of his death. And as Hebrews chapter 7, verses 14 to 16 tell us, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with, the tribe of Mo, uh, uh, with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Uh, this becomes even more evident uh, when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. It's quoted in Psalm chapter 110 that you, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we know that it comes from when Genes- uh, in Genesis' account when, uh, in fact, Abraham's nephew Lot was taken captive and uh, during this war between five kings, and Abraham went uh, with uh, uh, went with some of his servants and captured them. And here comes this priest, the the king of righteousness, the king of Sa- the priest of Salem, comes out and uh, offers bread and wine to him. And Abraham tithes of all that he had. Uh, that's where we get the tithe, the ten percent from. Abraham gives tithes to this Melchizedek, and it's quoted in Psalm 110, but Hebrews picks up on it and explains it in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 7, and Hebrews chapter 9, that Jesus Christ is that priest who has no beginning or end because he's eternal God who became the prophet, priest, and king as the Messiah. So here Jehoiada has kind of a a Melchizedekian uh, uh, look to him because he served as king. He really was the king while Jehoash was a little boy. And uh, that he was a priest. So he's a priestly king with no beginning or no end. But it also, as it applies to us, it foreshadows grace. That he had no beginning. He just shows up as a priest and as a godly person. Just as we are. The things that we're changed when the Lord saves us by His grace. 
People have noted that in many of our testimonies, that once we have been saved by God's grace, we become new people. The Bible declares that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so when people meet us and we give a testimony that the Lord Jesus has saved us, we are really different. We're different from what they knew. My testimony was that way. And then when I was in the Navy, as a Navy diver, there's something different about you. I said, because Jesus saved me. No, nah, that's not it. <laughs> and one of the things that was marked about that is that every other word out of my mouth was, uh, was a colorful expletive. And apparently the Lord took that. And it was so much a part of my life. Many of you know this testimony that you know are members of the church here, that you've heard it before. But it was so much a part of my life. I didn't know that I was talking like that when I was in the Navy some 37 years ago when the Lord, before the Lord saved me. And so when he saved me, what, 36 years ago, I suppose it would have been, when he saved me, he took it away that I didn't even know he took it away, that I was changed, I was different, and people noted that. And so the, this foreshadows the grace in Christ that how he has no more past, in a sense, because he just appears. He's a new creation, new creature. Jehoiada's royal example, you know, he as he was the king, he was the uh, he was calling the shots, as I mentioned earlier, so to speak. But because uh, Jehoash, being only seven years old at the beginning of his reign, Jehoiada was effectively that which was the king. He showed him the right way. He was a, he was a a kingly counselor uh, for uh, Jehoash. He was an example to him. Uh, he was raised in the temple Jehoash was uh, from the from one year old to six years old and he saw uh, this was his home and this might have been why Jehoash had a, such a heart for repairing the temple because this is where he grew up this is what he knew in his childhood from till the age seven and in fact when his grandmother Ataliah came in that uh, uh, that uh, she saw him standing in at one, one of the pillars um, Boaz, between the pillars of the temple, Boaz and Joachim, uh that uh, stand up, you know, in front of the doors of the temple before you go, before you enter into the temple, uh, that hold nothing up but have, but have been given names. And so his royal example helped minister to a company when, uh, uh, excuse me, to a country when it was needed most. When uh, Ahaziah, during his reign and during his wicked reign as an idolater, that uh, there was changes that were needed. And Jehoiada was the man that God had raised up in order to present that. Jehoiada also was a priestly example. He was, as the eldest priest, as I noted, that being over 50 years of age, he became a teacher of priests and a counselor to priests. And so his life reflected not only counsel to kings, but also counsels, counsel to those who had religious duties unto the priests of the temple. And Jehoiada's counsel we see extended unto two people. One to Zechariah, his son or grandson or even great-grandson, because he lived for so long, 130 years, uh, and full of days, used of the Lord, even to those last days. And Zechariah, who was a prophet, a priestly prophet who went in unto Jehoash, and was even suffered death at the hand and at the word of Jehoash. But we, but, uh, we see um, 
the blessing of that counsel to one, where we see the miserable failure of his counsel to the other. King Jehoash, that after his death, there is a Jehoash, there's somebody who rises up. And see, that's because it's all in the grace of God, and it's in his hand for every salvation. We who have been parents and grandparents, and we see and our children and our children's children, we pray for them, that we do the best that we can by God's grace to live examples for them, but their salvation is still in God's hands. And so we have to, we're not fatalists and say, well, they can grow up any way they want. No, but we train them in the way that they should go. And when they get old, it will not depart from them. They can't, and in fact, the scripture says in the Proverbs, train up a child, what is it, 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Another way that you could phrase that from the Hebrew is that when they get old, they can't get away from it. Because this is what has been ingrained. And we see this in Jehoash's life. Is that he did some wonderful things. He put repairs into the temple. Because that's where he grew up. Grew up. He, was, he was trained in that. But as far as for his salvation, that's in God's hands. And we have to give it to God. And trust that God will, will by his grace, save them. But in that day when it's peeled back and they're still defiant before God, we have to, well... Praise the Lord that he is going to rid the universe from the presence of this vile thing that was that spat, as it were, spiritually speaking, spat upon the precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That he who was God eternally, he who is, was, and evermore will be God, who became man, and walked a righteous life that you and I can't. He, in his incarnation, born as a babe, and lived that life, and at 30 years of age, ministered the truth, just as a high priest would at the three years, year of 30, uh, age 30. We know that he was 30 years old, but as Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3, he was 30, uh, he, Jesus being about 30 years old. Well, see, he was about, Brother John, he might not have been. No, he was exactly 30 years old. But since he's also eternal God, that's why he's about 30 years old. He's 30 earth years old, but he is eternal God, self-existent, never-ending, everlasting. And he lived the righteous life that you and I can't. And having lived that righteous life in a three and a half year ministry, in fact, for 33 and a half years from birth to death, and he went to the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He suffered God's wrath upon the tree, took our sins upon himself, as if they were his own, never once denying them, because he was a lamb, slain silent before his shearers, and taking away the sin of the world, dying a death, because the wages of sin are death, and he died for those your sins and mine, for this for sins he did not commit, paying a debt he did not owe for a debt that we owe and could not possibly pay. Dead and buried for in his in the physical body that he was incarnate. By, uh, in, I should say, not by, but in, his incarnate body. It's kind of redundancy, incarnate in. His incarnate body was in the tomb for three days and three nights. He rose again, ascended into heaven with the promise of coming again. The truth of the gospel. And that is in the hands of God for our children and our children's children, our loved ones, our neighbors, our family. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have an example in our lives like Jehoiada did. 
and to live a godly life as a witness before those that that are uh, that do not know him. Jehoiada, in this sense, becomes a type of Christ because he's a prophet in that it was recorded in scriptures. He's a priest because he was of the priestly line. He is a king because he, he ministered that counsel to the boy king who knew no better. And so the question comes to us as we close it out. Are you known? Are you known of the Lord? And I, I place there just three three things simply redemption in Christ, royal priesthood before Christ, and righteous counselor for Christ. We need we must be saved. You know, well, you know, the question comes up sometimes, well, yeah, I well, I know who Jesus is. I know what the Bible says. I I know Jesus. But the question is, is does he know you? Remember Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 to 23, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount, that 17-minute message that Jesus gives, pretty much his stock message because he's an itinerant preacher. And everywhere he goes, the Sermon on the Plain recorded in Luke chapter 6 in a different place, it's almost the same thing, pretty much. And every place he went, he would preach this message. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does... The will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Well, certainly he's Almighty God, and he knows who that person is, but he, do you know Yada in Hebrew. It's the same word that's used of Adam and Eve when Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and had a son. And she called them Cain. Yada. To know intimately, are you? Does Christ know you intimately because he dwells in you richly? As that which is promised in Scripture, that I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Are you his? Jehoash may not have been more than likely, as we see from Scripture, redemption in Christ. But a royal priesthood before Christ, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, or a peculiar, I like the, the old King James Version, it says you're a peculiar people. And as you can see for me, I'm probably about as peculiar as they come. But the Lord blesses a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. That as Jehoiada was a priest, it's only a foreshadow of what we are. The Reformation, which we studied in Sunday school, that was a breaking away from that. that we, we don't need some uh, some some guy who, that's ordained and that performs some mystical thing to crucify the Lord again with bread and wine to turn it into his body and all kinds of other strange things. But that we can go to God ourselves through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to him because that's what his cross did. It gave us access to God. It tore the veil of the temple wide open. And so now, whereas the temple is more than restored, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and we have access unto God a royal priesthood before Christ, that Christ is before us and we're before Him. What a blessing that is. 
and redemption unto royal priest, priestly glory. And then finally, righteous counselors before Christ. Or excuse me, for Christ. Righteous counselors for Christ. As Jehoiada's example was so that you and I could be like Christ. Jehoiada was a type of Christ and he was a counselor unto kings. He was a counselor unto priests. He was a counselor unto the people. And last week we saw how he made a covenant between the king and the people and between the people and Jehovah Elohim before Jehovah God. And how he is this counselor. We have been given that same commission as, as counselors by the Lord Jesus himself. Matthew 28 and verses 18 to 20, before he ascended into heaven, he says, and Jesus came to, to, when he came to them, he said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And, and, and go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples, be counselors. Well, Brother John, uh, you know, I'm just the Lord only just saved me this last spring. And I'm only like 11 years old, or I'm only 12 years old. How can I be a counselor? I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to tell you, young man, young woman, young lady. I'm going to tell you, how are you to be a counselor? Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible daily. I know that some of you young people, you're in Sister Vicky's class, and she encourages you to read the Bible daily. We have a system where we read four portions. If you can't do that, read three portions or two portions read one portion one chapter a day read the chapter a day and come up with a verse and then ask your mom and dad about something that you don't understand because if you're reading at least a chapter there's going to be something i guarantee it there's going to be something in that chapter that you don't quite get and guess what if you ask mom or dad or if they're not available hey ask me you got my phone number it's on the back of that handout you ask me about it but ask them first. You know why? Because you'll be helping them out. In fact, if you ask me, for those of you that aren't as young as the young people I'm addressing, if you call me up, you'll be helping me out. Because then I'll know is if you're a part of this congregation, you're asking a question, I may have to look up the answer. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Jesus does. And I know where to look because I've just been doing it for a long time. Because Proverbs 27, verse 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. And we help one another out in that. And so even in those simple questions, we become counselors. All those questions that come up, like a catechism, they help us to focus upon exalting the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. And those questions that we come up with will help me become a better pastor because they'll help me become a better Christian. Because they'll help me become a better man. Because a better man will become, a, to be a better man means to be a better Christian. To be a better Christian means to be a counselor. To be a, a priest in God's kingdom. To be redeemed and embrace everything that redemption is. Because we say Christ is everything. And if he's anything at all, he is everything. Because if he's just something, then he's nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. And he is the focus of our attention and the embrace of our very, very deepest passion. That's who Jesus is and should be in our lives. Let's pray.
our most blessed and gracious Father in God. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. Uh, the blessing of even this story that seems so, you know, it seems so regular and ordinary in, in its events, but just uh, amazing as we see it through a perspective of Christ, that our lives, Lord, we pray that our lives would be just as amazing, that though ordinary and simple and everyday in Alaska, that it may be mighty for the exaltation, so Christ may be exalted in our lives, so that you may be glorified, Heavenly Father, and that we may be led of the Holy Spirit in all that we think, say, and do, and even the most minor and most seemingly insignificant of things. In Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen.